Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, we're back. It's another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Sean McAdoo with you for this uh, Thursday edition. Ahead of the podcast, uh, Eric Stevens uh, joins us for the latest on the Anaheim Ducks after their general manager, Bob Murray, resigned in the wake of some uh, allegations of a toxic workplace uh, under his rule. We'll chat about the struggling Colorado Avalanche and whether or not it's time to panic Mile High City. We'll talk about a couple of Down Goes Brown columns this week, too, including a pretty fun debate about potential Hall of Famers. Jesse Granger is back for Granger Things, and we'll wrap it up, as we always do, by opening up the mailbag and doing a little this week in hockey history, which has a distinct goalie theme to it. But, Sean, tell you what, this is becoming a theme on the Athletic Hockey Show where we open the show by getting somebody out of bed really early in Seattle. Like, maybe that's going to be our (laughs) shtick. Sleepless in Seattle is the new segment. There we go. I love it because last week it was John Vogel bright and early from Seattle um, in the wake of the Jack Eichel trade. And this time it's our Anaheim Ducks beat writer, Eric Stevens, bright and early from the same uh, city in Seattle. Uh, 
Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us so early as we let our listeners know. We're recording this just after 7 a.m. Pacific time with you Thursday. So, Eric, we really appreciate you getting up for this. What are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) You guys are nuts. You know that? Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, like, I, I guess the, the, the very first question is, um, if you could give our listeners here on the podcast a little bit of a sense, Eric, of how everything shook down in the last 72 hours. And uh, did it just come as a complete surprise uh, to everybody that, that's around the ducks that, that Bob Murray, again, uh, has kind of stepped aside, resigned in the, uh, the wake of some allegations around the way he handled himself inside, uh, inside the offices? You know, yeah, it's it's a good question, and it, it's it's interesting um, when you phrase it that way because, okay, maybe within the the past 48, 72 hours or so, yes, the timeliness of it um, is maybe the more shocking thing. You know, the the fact that this was not only handled um, and and done in such a quick manner, um, but if you would say talk with you know talk to people within the organization those who had been in the organization previously whatsoever as as i and and others have done um you'll find that the fact that there was an investigation into his conduct and um and the, the subsequent moves that have been made isn't terribly sh- shocking or surprising um you know this seems to be a thing where this this culture, this toxic culture that, you know, that you, that you speak of is, is something that's been festering for a long while. And I mean, if you know Bob Murray and, and, and his history or, or Norm as a person, uh, you know, he, he, he's what you, I guess you could say he can be a high strung individual uh, and, and, you know, someone that where you could see where, you know, t- certain tough losses, playoff losses whatsoever. Um, you know, team setbacks that his team suffered or whatsoever. Um, you know, there were there were times uh, where you would hit or over the years where he wouldn't handle them in the best of ma- uh, manners or most uh, professional of manners. Uh, you know, with the greatest decorum, I, I guess you could say. Um, so yet, yeah, you know, with the, the the suddenness of the last forty eight hours, you know, that part is shocking. But um, you know, the, the fact that he was, you know put under investigation by the team uh, whatsoever maybe isn't uh, terribly shocking when you when you talk to people and hear um you know from them hear some of the things that uh, that that either occurred um or at least the fact that you know that they see it as something where this it's not a surprise to them yeah is this you talk about the suddenness of it and from an outside perspective this all happened remarkably quickly could, could you just walk us through the the timeline because our understanding is that there were uh, some complaints raised um, potentially through the reporting process that the league is is pushing now in the wake of the Blackhawks story. Uh, there was an initial investigation or, or an investigation began, some initial findings that were concerning, uh, which led to Bob Murray being put on leave and then the resignation coming quickly after. How do we know exactly when the team was alerted to this or when the investigation began and, and how long that's been ongoing and is it still ongoing or is this considered a, a settled matter now? There isn't say a specific timeline um, that they've uh, given or indicated um, or the firm 
um, that they hired to do this of when this began. Um, other than it, it, this, this happened very recently. And, and like you said, Sean, um, I believe I believe that the impetus uh, for this did occur when someone reported his behavior to the uh, the NHL's hotline, which is set up um, for people to uh, you know to enable people to anonymous report um, you know improper uh, conduct, improper behavior um, of uh, of team officials um, in an anonymous manner. Um, so, so that they are protected and, and um, free from potential repercussions or so. So it's very recently is, is, is the, the closest in terms of a, a timeline. On Tuesday, um, the, the team did reveal, I believe it was Tuesday afternoon, and I was in Vancouver at that time, um, did reveal that uh, they had put him on administrative leave um, for that. So obviously, they the club deemed that these accusations, allegations, uh, you know, call it what you will, um, had enough gravity behind them that such a move had to be made. And 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 once 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 he was put on leave, and over the twenty four hours between um, that move and then him resigning yesterday morning, um, you know, you, you you could see where there was going to this was going to be a situation where there was going to be no no coming back you know, from this for, for um, the process, the investigation, which is as which is still ongoing, it's, it is not concluded. Um, and we'll wait to see if there's going to be some some, uh, some findings that some specific findings that will be released. But in that, you know, in that 18 to 24 hour period or so, um, in between the leave and, and his resigning, um, you can see where there's 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 just going to be no coming back for this no, really no way. Um, that Bob was going to survive this. And so he's actually the one that uh, volunteered to uh, back from Vancouver um, into Orange County, um, where he had previously been with the team. You, you know, I, I think what's really important here too, Eric, is that this isn't just stuff from like 2019, 2021. Uh, I'm going to read for our, the benefit of our listeners here. This is, a, this is a, from a news article in 2009. Okay, this is from 2009. A Michigan jury concluded that Anaheim Ducks general manager Bob Murray will not have to pay damages to a woman who claimed he assaulted her with a chair in 2009 at a game against the Red Wings. The lawsuit, which was heard by a jury in Michigan over the past few days, had Murray and the Ducks listed as defendants by a 45-year-old woman who sought, who had accused Murray uh, of assaulting her with a chair and sought damages for the assault. Now, this is kind of a story that has been in the NHL circles. You know, Bob Murray was so angry, and you talked about this earlier. Like, sometimes he wouldn't handle losses in the right way. Took a chair and threw it. Not intentionally, you know, sure. but just clear reckless, uh, we'll call it reckless negligence, or, you know, whatever you want right. to call it. Um, do, you, do you think that, I mean, these are the types of stories that now have probably come to light now, like that people now maybe feel more empowered, and as Sean talked about, the hotline is there. Maybe now people feel like I got a layer of protection to speak up about these types of incidents. For sure, and, and I think a, a, a strong impetus, uh, you know, for people being, um, you know, being able to report such incidents whatsoever um, is the whole Chicago Blackhawks scandal, um, and, and you know, and I guess what's what's come out of that. Um, 
you know, this we're, we're in an age now where that type of behavior is simply not just going to be you know tolerated um, or shrug off. I mean, may, may, you know, maybe people in power will still attempt to try to, I guess, I don't know if cover up is the right word, but, um, you know, hopefully hope these incidents sort of go away quietly whatsoever. But I think it's given people um, more of a feeling that, you know, they can be able to speak to speak out um, and not, uh, you know, lose their job over it. Uh, because I think that I, I think that's where a lot of this toxic culture, um, you know, really, really is born out of the, the fact that, uh, you know, people's livelihoods um, are certainly at stake. And, and if they're in a workplace that um, feels uh, threatening um, uh, to them, where there, where there are individuals of power, um, who sort of hold that over over people or so? And that's how, how how can a business run at it, its greatest effectiveness um, when there is that type of climate? So I think the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, you know, you know, and the, the Kyle Beach uh, scandal whatsoever, really has um, maybe say opened uh, opened opened some eyes, and you know, you hope that for not only for for Anaheim uh, but uh, really any other team, any other sports organization that becomes a real teachable moment in terms of treating your employees and treat them, treating them with respect. Yep. And, and not just the Blackhawks, but even, even somewhat recently we saw it with Mike Babcock, Bill Peters, you look at, you know, to, to some extent, uh, the, some of the John Gruden stuff in the NFL, it, it, it really feels like, and we don't know the details of the Bob Murray situation, but the sense you get is not so much that something changed with Bob Murray recently so much as the, the ground kind of shifted underneath him where behavior that would have been if not acceptable it would have been something that the expectation would have been you just roll with it you're working in the hockey world it's a sports world it's it's a bunch of alpha males and it's this is how they act sometimes and if you can't handle it you you got to go somewhere else and now there is this this shift in thinking that says no you you don't have to go somewhere else they do or they have to change the behavior and I'd be willing to bet that there are uh, probably a lot of people around the, the NHL world right now that are, are feeling a little bit nervous or, or maybe making a few phone calls or, or sending a few texts to people saying, hey, you know, if I was ever out of line before, I, uh, you know, I, I want to make amends now before uh, because it it's, it's, does not sound like Bob Murray is uh, the only one in the hockey world who, who maybe acts this way. Is, is he the only one in, in Anaheim? Like, is this matter considered closed, do you think, from the Ducks' perspective? Or is this something where where maybe it goes further into the organization? You know, yeah, it's a really good question, Sean. And, and you know, I, I, I think that that's something that's, you know, we're, we're still going to have to see um, how that plays out. Um, I know, I, I don't know of, say, anything personally to where this is um, a systemic issue. To where there's multiple or you know individuals or you know this this is just you know it, it was standard operating procedure where, where like you said those alpha alpha males um, treated fellow employees uh, in this manner you know I, I think if anything the, the question I see um, you know coming out of this is while yes the the this situation was handled quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he has resigned, uh, you know, they have an interim GM in place. They will look to, you know, they will look to find a, a new permanent executive, but 
how, how long was this enabled? How long, how long was his behavior enabled? How long did, uh, you know, tolerate it, you know, so to speak? Um, you know, how much did the ownership know about this? Henry and Susan Samuelli, how much, you know, and did, you know, are they a bit culpable in, uh, you know, enabling this, let, you know, letting his behavior go unchecked? Um, that that to me I is uh, you know one of the key questions that I you know I think has to come out of this and I think we need to see some transparency as well I mean it, it, you know again the, the from what I understand the investigation is not closed I'm sure that they would love to move on from it as quickly as possible but I think this is a you know this is a situation where we need to see um, some transparency transparency in in terms of you know what exactly um, was at the root of this pattern of behavior? They, like you said, this isn't. This wasn't just something that happened recently. This, this has happened over years. Um, so I think we need. We, those are two key things that I think we need. We still need to see coming out of this. Eric, uh, in, in closing, I would be remiss though if I didn't ask you one. And look, the Ducks have been a great story on the ice. I think they're kind of kind of punching above their weight and, and higher than people thought. What on earth is going on with Troy Terry? Uh, this might be the best story in the NHL. And for a lot of people who probably snapped this guy up on their, uh, you know, fantasy waiver wire a couple of weeks ago, they're riding the Troy Terry train here. Like, just give our listeners a little sense of how great this uh, this story has been. No, it, it really is a, a fabulous story. And, you know, it's been it, it's been interesting, uh, you know. As as I've read Sean's columns and, and others before, this this team hasn't been very relevant <laughs> in recent years, and uh, they've been quite bore, boring <laughs> on the ice. But not this year at all. And Troy Terry's been at the heart of it. I think what you're seeing is is a, a player who's just he's he's always had skill. Um, you know, any anyone that watched him at the World Juniors back in 2017. Um, or, or those who have seen him closely, they've seen flashes of it in the NHL. This is a player that, uh, this is a young player, a 24-year-old, who's really starting to put everything together now. Um, he's always rode on confidence, maybe too much. The, the swings in confidence and, and, and you know, feeling you know, down on himself when he wasn't playing well were probably too big um, you know, for, the, for him to handle uh, in his early years. But uh, no, he... He is just he is on such a roll right now um, that is really driving the Ducks, um, you know, to some early, some surprising early success, as you noted. Um, and 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 really, and he really is a you know he really is a fun player to watch uh, just in terms of the way he can he can stick handle uh, you know and make plays in tight. Um, and now he's shooting the puck and he's and, and he's finishing and. You know, he, he's riding the wave and, and the Ducks are riding uh, riding it with him. Well, listen, we, we appreciate the early morning visit from <laughs> uh, from Seattle, like Sean said. Sleepless in Seattle uh, will be our new segment. But Eric, I appreciate this. I enjoyed your column um, that you wrote earlier this week about, you know, what the Samuelis were kind of dealing with as an ownership group and all of the stuff with Bob Murray. Um, terrific stuff. I've uh, been enjoying your, uh, your, your stuff as the Anaheim Ducks, like I said. Been a pretty fun team on the ice, and obviously uh, this story unfortunately overshadows it, but uh, we appreciate you joining us and giving our, our listeners a little bit more context on, on Bob Murray. So thanks for this, and uh, and safe travels here this week. Hey, thanks, guys. Time for breakfast, by the way. <laughs> thanks, sir. Appreciate it's, it. All right, little uh, little conversation with Eric Stevens, and that uh, that was great. Sean, I, I got to tell you, I, are you surprised with the, 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 the three California teams that we all thought would be kind of at the bottom of the barrel in – 
in the Pacific Division and kind of in the, you know, at least in the case of LA and Anaheim, I thought we thought they were kind of in the throes of a rebuild. And San Jose, I think we kind of had a hard time figuring out, like, who are they? What are they? But they're all off to really good starts in the first month of the season. And I, if I was listing, like, surprises of the year, like, the three California teams all being above 500 is, is, a, is a surprise to me. They're right. And especially right now, right? Anaheim right in a five-game win streak, LA six. But it's kind of been the theme all around the league. The, the five, six, seven, eight teams that we we all kind of figured were not necessarily bottom dwellers, but not in contention uh, because they were rebuilding or they, you know this and that. It, it, there's been success almost across the board on them. I mean, you mentioned the three California teams. Buffalo obviously has uh, has been at least better to start the year than we thought. New Jersey's been good. Columbus is has kind of come out of nowhere to post a, a really impressive record. Detroit, another team that uh, you know has has been at the bottom of the standings for years now, and and they've uh, they, you know they they've got some uh, some pulse uh, going right now. So it's it's really other than Arizona and arguably Ottawa, there all of the teams that we thought were going to be bad are, are putting up more of a fight than we thought, which is great. That that's that's what makes it fun. And you know, history tells us that some of this won't last. Uh, you know, a lot of this will look back and go, yeah, that was the. That was the one good month that they they put together, but it's fun, right? If you're if you're a fan of one of those teams, it's always great to have that uh, you know that little boost of hope, and especially if it comes in a year where maybe you weren't expecting it, uh, it's it can set you up well uh, for down the line. So it's it's uh, very cool to see. Yeah, and and you know the flip side of this coin is while there's a whole bunch of teams overachieving, the Columbuses, Detroit's, and the California teams. The flip side is well, that mean, must mean there's an equal number of teams that are that are uh, you know underachieving, and I can't help but think of two of the heavyweights in the uh, Western Conference in Colorado and Vegas. And l- let me first start with Vegas, only because I know in your in your rankings for this week they were the team that didn't make it. And like you don't like, I guess let me ask you this question: What do we do with Vegas? Like, how do we view Vegas? They got a bunch of injuries. Like, like, how do we view the Vegas Golden Knights right now? Because as we look yeah. at the standings, they're, you know, whatever. Yeah, sixth place in their division. They're kind of just a 500 team, but they're just like a, they're like, like a, like a lion that's kind of just in waiting here, right? You would think, although, you know, we, we see it most years where there's, there's one or two teams that are the lions in waiting and we just keep waiting and they, they never, it never really breaks out. Vegas is a very tough one because there were two things we thought we knew about Vegas. Number one was going to be that they were going to be a very good team. And number two was that the division stunk and they were going to easily run away with first place uh, and probably have a a pretty clear path uh, right to the final four. And they haven't been good, partly due to injuries, but they they haven't been good. And the division looks much stronger than we thought. Edmonton is is much better than we thought. Uh, Calgary is far better than we thought. And now suddenly you're, you're looking at it saying, geez, even if Vegas gets back uh, to where we think they should, are, are they going to be, are they going to win the division? Do they end up finishing second or third? Maybe they don't have home ice. Maybe they get a real tough matchup. Maybe the path out of that division is, is a lot stronger. So it, it was already tough enough to figure this, this team out before they go and get Jack Eichel. And, and that's, you know, what I had trouble with because if, if people read, the power rankings that I do on Monday, it, it, mine are a little bit different. I try to figure out who's going to win the cup. That's all I'm worried about as far yeah. as the top of the league. I'm not worried about who's good right now. 
this team just beat that team. So, it, you know, it, in theory, it doesn't shift around as much as, as some of the other uh, rankings you'll see. I'm trying to figure out who's going to win. Well, I mean, Vegas, they just got one of the best players in the world. And we don't know when he'll be back. And we don't know for sure what his health will be like. But if he's back and he's healthy, even forget about the season. As long as they make the playoffs, which they should, they could get him back day one of the playoffs. We saw that with Tampa, with Nikita Kucherov. If that happens with Jack Eichel, aren't they still a serious cup contender? I, I think you'd have to say so. Although I'm not sure how you can look at a team that's you know basically 500 right now and say, that's, that's one of my top five cup contenders. But maybe they are. Because eventually, when they get everyone healthy and they've got that first line together, if, if, if they choose to put all those guys in, on, on the ice at the same time, they're going to be real, real hard to beat, but it's it's right now we're not seeing it. And with Eichel, at least we're not going to see it for, for many months. And, uh, you know, by that point, you would assume they've got their other guys healthy and they're looking good and they're back in the in the mix in the Pacific. But who knows? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a long time. Maybe this uh, maybe this season doesn't play out the way that they were hoping for. I don't know. I'm I'm really watching it with some some curiosity. Okay. I'm also curious though about the Colorado Avalanche because if you were asking most people at the start of the season, give us your five teams that were going to be a legitimate heavyweight, Colorado's on everybody's list. Like everybody's list. I, I don't I don't see who doesn't put Colorado there. And now here we are, ten games in the season. You're scuttling along, and now they find out Nate McKinnon's going to be out for three up to three weeks, lower body injury. Like, is it is it time to kind of just ask some tough questions around the abs? Or we do we need to start? Because it's not like the it's not like Vegas. Like Vegas, you're like ah, I, they'll be okay. Just they got to get everybody back. The abs feel different though, don't they? A little they, bit, yeah, a, a little bit. They do, and they've had injuries too. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one. Again, those same power rankings, I had Colorado in my top five week after week because I'm like, it's the avalanche. It's everyone's preseason cup pick. And, you know, I got people yelling at me. They're, you know, they're two and five. How do you have a two and five team at the top of your rankings? Well, because I still believe in these guys. And I think I still do. But there is a point where, uh, you know, it gets it gets a little bit tough. And, and I think the point comes when you lose back-to-back games to the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, you know, that, that's a good point to, to maybe start, to start reevaluating. The injuries are piling up. Um, you know, at this point, the Darcy Kemper, I think has been, uh, not the problem, but certainly it hasn't been, been fantastic. I don't think. And then, yeah, you look at the, you know, the fact that they're going to be missing Nathan McKinnon for a few weeks. Again, it's, it's a few weeks. It's not a few months. It's not the rest of the season. I don't think we, we overreact to it too badly, but again, you, th- this was the other team in the West that we all said, okay, well, Penta West, uh, the the Central Division, that's Colorado is going to finish first. We know that, uh, and now you're looking at it and and going, there's a lot of season to go, but they're nine points behind Minnesota, eight behind St. Louis. Like they've got ground to make up. I still think they're a playoff team, and ultimately, you know, maybe. Maybe that's all we need to say about teams like Vegas and Colorado, and we're overthinking the rest of it. Make the playoffs, as we have seen in the last few years. You make the playoffs, and then anything can happen. And and very, you know, there there's we can talk about finishing first or seeding or home ice, but maybe that really doesn't matter. Uh, didn't didn't matter much last year with with what we saw Montreal doing. 
Um, and we've seen it with other teams. So, you know, maybe you just make the playoffs and then, and then you're, you've got as good a shot as, as any other team or, or maybe better. Uh, that could be the case. I'm really interested though, to see specifically what happens with Colorado and Joe Sackick if we get halfway into the season and they're still muddling along. Cause I, I wrote at the beginning of the year, I wrote a piece where I said, here's, here's my most interesting names to watch. And I had Joe Sackick on the list and I said, this guy's under a lot of pressure because Colorado, as good as they've been, they keep underachieving the playoffs, keep going out in the second round. Does he need to do something to, to shake it up? And I had a lot of people push back on that. And they said, no, no, it's Colorado's good team. Everyone knows they're a good team. It'll happen in the playoffs or it won't. But but Joe Sackick's not under any pressure to, to shake this up. I, I'm curious to see if we get halfway into the season and it's not clicking. And people are looking going, hey, Vegas just went and got a franchise player. What are you doing? Uh, I'm curious to see if that plays out, if that pressure starts to build, if he reacts to it, and if so, what does he do? You know, what's what's the uh, you know what kind of move is he looking to make, or does he do like we've seen other teams do and say this is my team and and I'm going to play the hand I'm dealt, and then who knows? We we see how it plays out, but uh, you know, I I still think it's Colorado and Vegas in the West. I still think that's your Western final. But man, they've given us a lot of reason to doubt, and, and there's a lot of other teams pushing into the mix to uh, to give us reason to think that uh, maybe this isn't going to play out as as easily as a lot of us seem to think it would. Yeah, and yeah, you know, like you said, the Avs have had some injuries. McKinnon now, I know McCarr was banged up last week, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Rantanen was banged up a little bit. I, I don't I don't think they've had Devin Taves basically for the whole year. So there is, but th- there's just something I don't know. Something seems amiss there now. As you look at the potential things that Joe Sackett can do, like I wonder about the security of a guy like Jared Bednar, who I'll be honest with you, when he first came into Colorado, I was I was of the opinion, I'm like, man, this guy seems like your classic. I'll be there for like two years, three years, and then I'll be gone. Right? Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know why he gave me those vibes. I gotta give this guy credit though. Like he has consistently got them into the playoffs now, right? Like whatever, four years in a row. But I wonder if that's the move. Like, like he's been there now, what, this is his, his fifth or sixth full season there. You wonder if that might be the thing. And I don't want to say it's a cop-out or the easy move, but you wonder, right? Like, is that is mm-hmm. that the move you make if you're Joe Sackick midway through it, the season? It would be the easy move, right? And and that's, the mm-hmm. you know, I, I just talked about, well, you know, do you go make a big transaction, big trade? How do you do that? Look at look at their cap space. I mean, you know, we, we saw Vegas pull it off, and and the fact that Vegas keeps figuring out a way to do it maybe should should make us look a bit harder at other teams. But it's tough. Um, yeah, Jared Jared Bednar has been a fascinating case because you know he came in after Patrick Walkwit was sort of a late hire. Uh, you thought, oh geez, I don't know. Was it was this? Did they go out and get the best guy, or did they just get the guy who was available under the circumstances? And then he, they have that absolutely miserable first season. And you go, okay, well, there, you know, there you go. This guy's over his head. He's this is this isn't going to last. Um, but then he gets his first real season where he has the whole camp and the off season to prepare. And uh, and and the team's been real good ever since to the point where you know he's a guy that that had come up in in Jack Adams conversations at, uh, and uh, yet now. Here it is, based on ten games with with injuries on the roster. Is it fair to a coach who's had success for for four years in a row? No, not at all. But just the NHL, it's not always fair. And if uh, you know, sometimes as a GM, you sit there and go, "I got to change something." Um, 
and it's there's one move that's easy and a whole bunch of other options that are going to be difficult. Sometimes GMs take the easy uh, road, and I'm not saying that that's what I would do or want to see in Colorado. But the nature of this business is that, yeah, that's going to be an option on the table. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, time for a little Granger Things with our pal Jesse Granger. As always, brought to you by our uh, friends at BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us with The Athletic. And Jesse, the irony of last week was it's the one time you actually came to our hometown where both Sean and I live. We live in Ottawa. Jesse Granger rolls in. Jesse Granger can't join the podcast because it's uh, it's the day of the Jack Eichel trade, which reminded me that, like we said, every time you come to Ottawa, get ready because two years ago or two and a half years ago was Peter DeBoer takes over as the head coach. Now it's Jack Eichel. Go ahead. Next year when they drop the schedule, just circle the Ottawa date and know that something seismic is going to happen for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yep. I was joking with my editor, Rich Hammond. Uh, yeah. You got to make the Ottawa trip for sure. And not only did both, I've only been to Ottawa twice in my whole life and both times that happened. It was super early in the morning, like twice in my life. I've woken up in my Ottawa hotel room at 730 Eastern time, which for me is 4.30 on the body clock still, 4.30 a.m., and seeing crazy news. I remember, like you mentioned, a year and a half ago, um, I that that press release from the team that fired Gerard Gallant and hired Pete DeBoer, I remember copying the email address and pasting it into my Google Docs and blowing up the font to make sure it wasn't a fake email, because I was for sure I was getting punked on that one. Um, the Eichel news wasn't quite that shocking because we kind of saw it coming. But yeah, trips to Ottawa are fun. Not not a <laughs> phrase you hear very often, but we'll, yeah. we'll get that. We'll pass it on yeah. to the Tourism Bureau for yeah. <laughs> trips to Ottawa. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, Jesse Granger. Yeah, listen, this guy from Vegas says we're a fun town. Like, yeah. That's the, <laughs> the great contrast. So, okay, I got to ask both of you guys, okay? Because we're gonna have some fun with uh, with some Connor McDavid stuff here as as part of your uh, Granger things. That goal that he scored last week against the Rangers, one on four, nicest goal that you've ever seen, Connor, or most unbelievable jaw dropping goal that you guys have ever seen from McDavid in particular. I mean, I know there's been some unbelievable ones. That the best Connor McDavid goal you guys have ever seen? I think if you narrow it down to just Connor McDavid, I think it's the best one I've ever seen. Um, like when when people put it into the perspective of like is that the best goal ever scored? I have a hard time with that because like place and meaning mean things to me. Like like 
McDavid hasn't had the chance to score big time goals in like games in the playoffs and, and meaningful goals. But in terms of just the the actual goal itself and you remove the like the importance of it, I guess uh, that was probably the best goal I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it, it's right up there. I mean, I, I grew up in the Mario era, so I've seen some pretty ridiculous stuff, including in the Stanley Cup final. So I I don't know that I put it best ever, but uh, it, it, it's, it's in the conversation, especially under the circumstances, right? The fact that it came in the final minutes of a game, you know, his team's down by one goal. This, you know, it's, it, it would have been a great goal in the first period, but you know, the Rangers are out there going, just don't give up a goal. That's all. Everybody fall back. Just what? And he's just like, no, I'll just, I'll just do it on my own. Uh, and you know, I've, I've seen a lot of great goals that develop kind of slowly you see a guy go end to end you you sort of get a sense of what he's doing and that one was almost like it was over before you even realized what you'd seen and you were just sitting there going that that didn't just happen did it like when there must have been something i missed and uh it was it was a great one i i still love the one he got against the leaps where he just postered uh morgan riley with uh with the you know the fake look move and just went right around him but uh you know for for sheer i can't believe that just happened i think this is number one on the mcdavid list at least yeah, and, and you know, I, I love your, I think it was, um, I can't remember now if it was your Monday column or what column it was, Sean, when you said McDavid is actually just Mario Lemieux sitting on Pavel Bure's shoulders in a trench coat. Like that, yep. I mean, that, that it's, part, that's about summarizing. I'm, it, right? I'm not even, it, it feels like so often these days when, when somebody does something great, we immediately look at the other team and you're like, yeah, but this guy was out of position or what was this guy doing or the goalie blew it. Like, I'm not even mad at the Rangers for that goal. Like, I'm just looking at it going, yeah, like, what should you have done? There was only four of you. It's It wasn't fair. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, you know, what 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 can you do? Uh, you know, and I, like I said in the column, you just give them some orange slices and tell them it'll go better when they're playing against actual human beings next time. Yeah, I, I still think the greatest goal I've ever seen scored, uh, I'm always a fan of the Mario Lemieux goal in the Stanley Cup final. And maybe like Jesse said, context matters. Because it's the Stanley Cup, but him him going around, I think it was Sean Chambers at, at Minnesota, then John Casey, to me, is the greatest goal I've ever seen. But I know that other people would say, no, this was a better goal or that was a better goal. But that one, if you're asking me, I can watch one goal on a loop, I'm taking, I'm taking Super Mario. Yeah, and that that goal and how impressive it was and just his body of work this season. I mean, he's been pretty incredible with 23 points in only 11 games. He's on pace for 171 points this season, um, which no one has scored 170 points in a season since Mario. Um, and I think that was 1989. So that was uh, eight years before Connor McDavid was born was the last time somebody had 170 points in a season. It hasn't been, no one's topped 150 points since the early 90s. And that was Mario. And because of, that pace and because of how impressive Connor McDavid has been, the money in Vegas and, and around the North America, I, I guess I can't just say Vegas anymore because everyone's gambling now. Yeah. Um, the money pouring in on Connor McDavid is kind of insane um, from, and, and it's not from a, from a total money perspective because hockey isn't bet on nearly as much as like the NFL or stuff like that. But in terms of percentage of handle, um, I, I just could not get over this number. So if you look at Hart Trophy betting over the last uh, few weeks for the season, Connor McDavid has gotten 81.7% of the dollars bet on the Hart Trophy um, have been on him. 
The next closest player is Nathan McKinnon, who has gotten 8.6% of the handle. So 81 to 8. And just to put that in perspective, you look at some of the other trophies. Uh, Vezina, Shesterkin leads the way with 26% of the, of the money bet. Uh, for Calder, Raymond leads it with 31%. The only one that's even remotely close to McDavid is the Norris Trophy, which is Kale McCarr has gotten 61% of the vote. So <laughs> McDavid is getting... Over 80% of the vote, and that's with the odds being kind of ridiculous. I mean, he's plus 135 to win the Hart Trophy right now, which means you so, only so you win your basically money, your money. And then six months later, you get your money back with a little bit. I mean, we're, we're barely we're doubling not, we're your not money. We're far above interest at this point. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. You could literally put your money in a bank and the interest would almost pay yeah. you the same as Connor. The next closest. So he's plus 135. You're barely get, doubling your money. The next closest player is Nathan McKinnon at plus 800. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl plus 800. Austin Matthews plus 1400. So these other players who are, I mean, his peers and the closest things we have to peers, if you can even call anyone on earth Connor McDavid's peer at this point, are 8-1, to 14-1. You can get Alex Ovechkin at 25-1 to one to win the Hart Trophy, and nobody wants to put their money on that. They all want, basically, I'll just take my money back with Connor McDavid at plus 135. Um, <laughs> it's pretty insane. At this point, would you bet anyone but McDavid? No. I, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I feel like I was throwing my money away on anyone else. Um I'm not sure that I would bet McDavid either. I think I'd probably go and, and look at one of the other categories where I, I felt like I could hit on something. But yeah, I, I mean, barring an injury, it, it uh, eventually maybe the writers get bored of voting for the same guy year after year. That's the only other thing I can see stopping this guy. Yeah, th- to me, this is um, this is a, probably the, the closest that we've seen somebody just toy with the league. Like, you know, the, the separation between McDavid and everybody else, this is what it must have been like with Gretzky and everybody else or Bobby Orr and everybody else. And for a time, Mario and everybody else. Like, I even think when Sid was at his absolute peak, I don't think the separation between Sid and, say, Alex Ovechkin or Gino or whoever, I don't think the, the gap was as great as what we're seeing. And I I think this is generational i think you're like when you're telling me the odds on mcdavid are plus 135 and the next guy's plus 800 that's mind-boggling mind-boggling and and even with those like to me it's like you see those odds and you're like well obviously nobody's betting mcdavid then actually that's all anyone is betting um and then and then the crazy thing is like points obviously mcdavid is so far ahead when you look at just goals there are guys who, like Ovechkin is right there with him. Leon Dreisaitl actually has more goals than McDavid does right now at the moment. But even Maurice Rocket Richard trophy betting, uh, McDavid leads the way. And he's a plus 325 to win that. He's the favorite to, at that. Ovechkin, you can get him at 5-1, to one, so a little bit better odds. Matthews, 5.5-1. to one. Dreisaitl, 5.5-1. to one. Um, What about that? Would you guys consider betting? I, I think that one is actually more of a discussion. There's actually a chance someone can score more goals than McDavid this year it's probably going to be dry sidle because of mcdavid but like what what do you think about that is that quite as run as much of a runaway as the as the heart trophy is yeah no that's that's one that i would probably look at because i i imagine going into the season it was probably matthews was was you know number one uh you look at what ovechkin's doing uh, yeah there there feels like there are some some places there where uh you could grab some value especially if everyone's chasing chasing mcdavid there as well um 
I, I, I want no part of heart and I want no part of art Ross because, because those are done. But the goals, if it, if you want to be a contrarian and, and kind of get off the McDavid train, that's, that's your one realistic spot. The one thing you can't bet yet, I'm going to get this on the board by the end of the season. Um, they have some crazy prop bets at BetMGM, but they, they haven't offered this one yet, but I'm telling you, I'm getting it. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl goals versus goals by the entire Coyotes team. Um, <laughs> right now, the Coyotes have scored 21 total goals in 13 games. Um, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have only played 11 games. So they're two games behind them. They have two games in hand and they have 19 goals. So they are two goals behind the entire Arizona Coyotes team with two games in hand. Still who scores more goals this season, McDavid and Dreisaitl or Arizona? Wow. That's, uh, that shouldn't be (laughs) even remotely a question. And it, it speaks to, uh, yeah, it speaks to what's happening in Arizona and, and what's happening in Edmonton? Because uh, yeah, I wonder wonder what kind of bet you could get on that. That would oh. be that would be something. I mean, I can't imagine that Arizona is going to end the year with 120 goals or whatever they would have to to finish up with. But geez, I don't know. And you know what? That by by the end of the year, I wonder how many goals they have on the roster too. Would be the other question. That I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was came in at a lower number uh, than than what the two Oilers get. Because they're going to trade anyone who does. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. somebody, yeah. <laughs> you know, bust out for 20 goals. Okay, you flip them at the deadline and, uh, you know, that, that tends to be the way it goes. So I guess the last the last thing I'll bring up in this ridiculous just start for McDavid is on a nightly basis, BetMGM um, offers, and this is kind of a new thing just because of the widespread uh, sports gambling across North America now is you can actually bet prop bets on individual games pretty much on a nightly basis. Any game you want, you can go in and say, I think this guy's going to get a point tonight. So they've got their over under for each player at 0.5 points, a half a point, essentially betting. Will they record a point tonight? Most guys it's plus money to get a point because getting a point in the NHL is hard. Um, obviously the stars on each team are minus money to get a point, but some guys mainly McDavid, are scoring at such a ridiculous rate that they've actually bumped the point total up to one and a half. So he's got to get two points tonight. Um, There are 11 games tonight. Um, Only four players have a prop of one and a half, and they are Brad Marchand, uh, Pasternak, Ovechkin, and McDavid. Marchand, Pasternak, and Ovechkin are all plus, and it's pretty big plus. Marchand's plus 155, so you can win your money and a half basically back. Pasternak plus 175, so you're almost approaching two to one there for him to get two points, and Ovechkin is plus 165. Meanwhile, Connor McDavid is minus 125, meaning you would have to bet $125 just to win 100 on him getting two points in a night, which is, again, just shows how ridiculous that this this player is and, and the pace that he's on. Um, it, it's incredible. It, it sounds ridiculous, but you know what? It's uh, I'm looking at his game log right now, and he's played 11 games. Eight of those 11 games, he's had at least two points. Uh, he has had three points in four games, so more three-point games than one-point games. And if you're looking for zero point games, keep looking. We're still waiting for him to be held off the board. So yeah, this is it's it's going to get to you know Ian, you're, you're you're my age. You probably remember the days where when you were doing a hockey pool, you, you couldn't draft Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, you had to draft Gretzky's goals or Gretzky's assists because it just it, otherwise it just broke the pool to have one guy. And, and I wonder if we're getting there with McDavid, and maybe that has to be 
maybe that's the new prop bet. McDavid assists versus everyone who's not Leander Seidel in the league. And and the crazy thing is, like I was looking at, so I, I, I mentioned earlier, the last time somebody scored 170 points in a season was Mario Lemieux, and that was in 1989. What McDavid's doing now, to me, is so much more impressive because in 1989, there were on average 5.9 goals per game total, yep. just under six goals a game. Or, or, sorry, that's this season. This mm-hmm. season, it's 5.9 goals per game. Back in 1989, when Lemieux did what McDavid's doing now, it was 7.5 goals per game. We're talking a huge difference in goals per game. It was so much harder. It's so much harder to score now um, than it was then. You're not seeing as many goals. You aren't seeing as many five to four games, and yet he's still putting up these these incredible numbers. Yeah, when you get to the the, the adjust for era point totals by by the end of the year, it's it's just going to be crazy where he's going to wind up if he keeps this up. Um, it's it's amazing. Enjoy it if you're a hockey fan because it's been a long time since we've seen anything like this. Yeah, I've always said I think he's the most talented player to ever play in the National Hockey League. We've never seen anything like Connor McDavid, and I'm glad that uh, we're kind of getting to see him kind of at his uh, at his at his peak here because it uh, it is really it's it's generational uh, what he's doing. It's like it's like Bobby Orr. It's like it's like Wayne, and it's like. Uh, Mario Jesse Granger. This was uh, this was a lot of fun talking about the ridiculous season uh, that Connor McDavid is having. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll hit you up again next uh, next Thursday. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom, a performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so great to get Jesse Granger back in the fold and certainly fun to talk about Connor McDavid. Look, uh, McDavid, like I said, generational talent, no questions asked. This guy's go ahead and uh, size him up. He's going to be one of those players, I think, Sean, that they'll just waive the three-year uh, entry period for the Hall of Fame down they, the road, they, right? Yeah, they, they don't do that anymore, or at least they said they wouldn't after Wayne Gretzky, but uh, they, oh, come on. they might. They might. Do it for Sid, do it for Ovi. And do it for Connor McDavid. I like, like, what are you waiting for, right? Like, there's no reason when these guys hang them up, they're automatic. There's, there's not going to be a lot of suspense. You're right. Yeah, but the uh, the the guys I want to talk about is is based on your column this week, which was all about the kind of bubble guys, right? The Eric Stalls yeah. and the Corey Perrys, 
Um, I think I agree with you. I think if Brad Marchand can have a couple more like elite first line 80 to 100 point seasons, I think he gets there. The one I want to talk to you about is Jonathan Quick. And here's a guy who backstopped his team to a couple of Stanley Cup championships. Uh, but it like as I read your um your kind of your breakdown of quick, you were very uh, and I know this is gonna sound pun intended, quick to dismiss his case. You said he wouldn't get my vote. Now, help right. me out here. Like, why would Jonathan Quick like why do we have such a hard time deciding which goalie should go in and who shouldn't? And and like and why would Jonathan Quick just be so like just not get your vote uh, for the for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, as I say in in the piece, the Hockey Hall of Fame is weird about goalies. Um, they've set the bar very high. In fact, the the number that or the the fact that I I cite a lot is that if you became a hockey fan of the NHL in 1972, nearly 50 years ago, you've only seen the debut of five goalies who went on to become Hall of Famers. That's it. In 50 years, five guys have shown up that were considered uh, that are in the Hall of Fame right now. So. You know, on the one hand, you'd say, okay, well, they're, they're not putting enough goalies in. And I think there's a good case for that. Flip side is, by the time Jonathan Quick is is on the ballot, Henrik Lundqvist will be in, Roberto Luongo will be in, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury will either be in or be on the way. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe that that's already been balanced out a little bit. To me, Jonathan Quick just didn't quite get there. Uh, and and I'm, I'm using past tense. Uh, obviously, he's still playing, but uh, you know, I think his his prime years certainly are are far behind behind him, at least based on what we've seen the last few seasons. Uh, this is a guy who never won a Vezina, had one Vezina caliber season. Certainly, a lot of people think he should have won in 2012, and people forget 2012 is you know he was fantastic in that playoff run to win the cup. But it didn't come out of nowhere. The, the, he was he was great start to finish. You want to say he was the best goalie in the league that year? I, I won't argue with you. Uh, but that's pretty much it. The, the rest of his career, he had one other year as a Vezina finalist. He he had some very good seasons. But I want to see one of two things from my Hall of Famers. I want to see uh, ideally, I want a peak period where for four or five years you were right in the conversation for the best at that position. Uh, you know, hands down. Uh, or I want to see the longevity where the, the numbers just get so high that it's like a Mark Recchi or Dave Anderchuk situation where you say, you know what, maybe you were never in the conversation as the very best, but you did it for so long. And and I just don't think Quick is going to get there in, in either category. Uh, you know, I know Kings fans love him. I know that uh, there was a time in, in 2012 and, and around that where you would have looked at him and said that this guy might be headed there. I just don't think he gets there. The The interesting thing to me is I think the best comparable for him is Mike Vernon, who is another guy who won two Stanley Cups, another guy who had a Conn Smythe, another guy who got over 300 wins, um, but, uh, you know, was was sort of in that good, but uh, was he ever the very best? Eh, maybe, but maybe not. And Vernon's a guy who's not in the Hall of Fame, but there does seem to be a little bit of a push. Eric Tuhatchik has, has made the case a few times, and, uh, you know, maybe Vernon becomes one of those guys who we get surprised one year, and, and he goes in, and if he does... That opens the door maybe more for Jonathan Quick, but I, I just to me right now, and I'm always I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler. I'm 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 a tough uh, I'm a tough yes on this stuff. I don't think Jonathan Quick has has done it. Do you think so? Though? Like I mean, you're, you the fact that you're picking him tells me that you maybe you're you're 
you're on the Jonathan Quick. Yeah, goes. like I, I guess I just have a hard time with goalies, and I feel like if you backstop your team to two Stanley Cups, um, boy, that should that should at least get you into the conversation. Like, like I, I don't know. Like I, like I, reading your piece, you're like, okay, Luongo's in for sure, and Lundqvist is in for sure, and Pekarene probably might even have a, a better case than Quick. And I'm like, man, I think we're forgetting about how good. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Quick was at his peak, and I think like winning two Stanley Cups yeah. in, in in a tight window is pretty impressive to me. But like you said, if Mike Vernon, who won two Stanley Cups and kind of had a really uh, you know dominant career over you know a decade, if he's not in, then you know all bets. And are then off. you know, and and then you get into you know you, you saying that you've got all the Chris Osgood fans happy now because exactly. they're sitting there going, well, we got three Stanley Cups, and uh, you know the 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 thing and and. Another guy that people sometimes mention is Corey Crawford, where, again, two cups uh, in, in a short period of time. If you're going to put Quick in, you have to look at Crawford. And and what's interesting with Jonathan Quick is I, I think certainly for Osgood and maybe even for Corey Crawford, there might be people who would say, hey, that was a good goalie on a great team. And, uh, you know, they, they certainly you couldn't have won the cup with, with nobody back there, but you didn't need an elite guy. And yeah. I, I feel like that's not the perception with the Kings. With the Kings, the feeling is when they were winning cups, Jonathan Quick was absolutely an integral piece of that. The, the, this this wasn't a team, even though we knew they, you know, the the analytics and everything told us they were a good team. This wasn't a team that you could just put a good goalie back there. You needed a great goalie, and uh, you know, certainly in 2012, he was he was absolutely great. 2014, he actually wasn't phenomenal, at least by the numbers in in the playoffs, but but it was certainly good enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, it sort of gets into this fuzzy area of, you know, what, uh, you know, how, how much did he have to do with it? What did he, I, I don't want to just get into cup rings because right. again, like Roberto Luongo is a hall of famer. Henrik Lundqvist is a hall of famer. I, I don't care whether they ever get a, a cup ring. Uh, and there are guys that, that have won cups where you kind of say, you know what, I, I, I don't want to put every cup winning goalie into the hall of fame, um, either, but. Certainly, you know, Jonathan Quick of those guys that we're talking about is the one guy where you could say, no, he didn't just tag along for a cup. He won a cup for his team in 2012 uh, that they would not have won if, if there was anybody else in the league back there playing, uh, playing unlike what he did. That's where the case gets. And, and you know, it is, it's going to be a tricky one. But again, to me, he's a no but I do see the case for the other side. Yeah. All right. Let's open up the mailbag here and uh, take some questions from our listeners here. A reminder, as always, you can reach us at the athletic hockey show at gmail.com, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com or drop us a voicemail, 845-445-8459. Let's open up and get a couple of them here. Brian writes in, Hey, Brock Nelson and Patrice Bergeron each scored four times last Thursday night. Has there ever been two four-goal games on the same night before? And if so, do you know when this happened the last time? That's from Brian. Yeah, so I I, I did not know, uh, and I, I looked it up. And uh, as as best I can tell, maybe I've missed some there, it's happened a few times. Um, most recently, I believe you would have to go back to, I think it was 2005, uh, and it was a game you might remember because it yeah. was the Ottawa Senators, Daniel Alfredson and Martin Havlett both scored four goals in the same game. Um, and there have been a handful of other games like that where two teammates have both done it, uh, because it's just, it's a blowout and, and, uh, they're, they're just running wild on the other team. There have also been a handful of games where a player on each side, 
uh, scored four goals in a game. And that's mostly you're, you're into the 80s and early 90s with the crazy high scores. But this seems to be one of the very few times that um, two players in two different games had four goals. The, the last time I could find for that was 1996, March the 26th. Uh, Keith Kachuk scored four goals uh, in, uh, in Dallas for the Winnipeg Jets, and Mario Lemieux had five goals. <laughs> um, you know, win over the St. Louis Blues, and uh, and and I I went and checked, and there were two other games that night, and those games also both featured hat tricks, one by Peter Bonder and one by Stefan Riche. So I mean, there there's your '90s NHL in a uh, in in one sentence is uh, three or more goals by Mario Lemieux, Keith Kachuk, Peter Bonder, and Stefan Riche um back in the day that you know that 96 season the last real high scoring season that we've ever seen in the NHL yeah um and uh yeah just just a heck of a performance and that Mario Lemieux game it's it's funny he had uh five goals two assists seven points and and as soon as I saw that game I remembered it because what I remember about that game is uh a fight between Tony Twist and Francois Leroux where (laughs) Tony Twist never lost, and he lost that fight, and people were like, oh, my goodness. And then we found out Francois LaRue had his fist taped, and that's how he had uh, cut him up, and it was a big thing, and there was, you know, fines and suspensions and uh, all sorts of stuff. And it's just, it's funny to me that that's what I remember, and the fact that somebody had five goals and seven points, you're like, oh, yeah, but it's Mario. That's that's just a Thursday for him. Yeah, just a random Thursday in the 90s for, for Not Mario. Not bad. Seven it was an points. okay, okay yeah. game for him. I mean, you know, uh, we, we can see more. But You know, it's funny, just to follow up on Brian's uh, email into the show, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was covering a Washington-Ottawa game in which TJ Oshie, Drake Batherson each had a hat trick, and then Alexander Ovechkin had two goals, Sean, and was on the ice in the final minute looking for the empty netter, and I thought, oh my goodness, has there ever been an NHL game with three hat tricks in the same game? So I did look that up, and there's two that I could find, okay? And I think mm-hmm. you might even remember a little bit, okay? One was LA and Calgary in a playoff game in 1990, okay? Oh, wow. And they had hat tricks from Dave Taylor, Tony Granato, and Thomas Sandstrom. All had hat tricks in the same game. But the other one I could find, it's actually memorable for a, a different reason. It was the Edmonton Oilers at New Jersey in 1983. Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, and Willie Lindstrom, okay? All had hat tricks. And if I'm not mistaken, Sean, that was after the game. That's when Wayne Gretzky famously called the New Jersey Devils a Mickey Mouse organization. Yep. They had three I think guys with the, hat tricks. Yeah. Yeah. The famous Mickey Mouse game that, uh, yeah. where, and it was because it wasn't the, the devil's goalie maybe was like a friend of Gretzky's. And, uh, you know, he, he felt bad that they weren't putting a team in front of him and, and he was getting lit up and devil's fans, you know, started wearing Mickey Mouse ears to the games and stuff like that. Gretzky yeah. wasn't wrong, but it was one of the few times in, in Gretzky's career that he said something controversial and, uh, and, and he heard about it because, even back then, you you were never supposed to say anything interesting. So he he learned his lesson, and I, I don't know that he said anything else until his uh, famous Olympic rant uh, 20 years later. All right, and one other email here uh, it, from our listeners. Uh, CJ writes in, hey, guys, what are the short-term penalties for a team that maybe falls below the salary floor or the league minimum? Would this result in forfeiture of games, uh, things like that until they comply? If so, could this be used by a team looking to tank for a top pick? Um, 
this came to my mind when I was listening to your conversation last week with John Vogel, and he mentioned that Buffalo was potentially playing with the salary cap floor in the wake of the Jack Eichel trade. So that's CJ's question. What happens if you're, you know, we, we know the, the penalties for maybe being over. What are the penalties for being under? Yeah, and and that's, I mean, it's it's a confusing question because you, you do hear this a lot and you're right. It's usually when it comes to the, the ceiling, people say, well, what's the penalty? And, and there really isn't a penalty because you just, you can't. You you cannot, you, you almost, it, basically every day you have to say submit to the league, this is what our roster is. And if you're over the cap, then that can't be your roster. And, and guys just have to be moved off. Um, and there, there isn't really like, you know, a fine or this or that it's, it's just not a legal roster and you have to fix it. Um, as far as what would happen if a team was below and refused to address it and, you know, would, would that result in them forfeiting a game? Yeah, but potentially, I I guess that would be a, a potential result. Um, but you know, if some team wanted to tank, well, why you just refuse to go to the floor and you forfeit every game. And, you know, that would be a situation where the league would absolutely not allow that. Gary Bettman has pretty wide powers to, uh, uh, to deal with stuff like that. And, and I think if there was any suggestion that a team was doing that, they could probably kiss their first round pick and a lot more goodbye. Um, so I, I don't think any of that is written into the CBA other than the section of the CBA that still gives Gary Bettman a lot of power to deal with the situations in the, in the best interest of the league. So I think, okay, so now I kind of looked into this from the Ottawa perspective because if you recall, in training camp, the Senators were under the salary cap floor. And I asked around and I said, like, what, what, what's the penalty here if they're under? And the, the response I got back was, any violation of the salary cap, whether it's at the ceiling or the floor, will be deemed to be the same. So even mm-hmm. though we look at salary cap... Uh, issues mostly at the top end and think of the Tampas and, you know, maybe Vegas and teams that might have to finagle to get under the cap. If you don't spend to the minimum, the league looks at it the same way. It's cap circumvention, even though it kind of runs counter to what you would think in your mind is cap circumvention. Yeah. So, and and yeah. especially when it comes to the cap floor, because, you know, let's, let's be honest, if you're tight to the, the cap because you've, you've got this packed roster, it can be difficult to make the maneuvers to get under if you're on the floor, there, there's a ton of guys out there who have just paper cap hits that you could, you know, yep. be trivially easy to, you know, you call Tampa, give, give me Brent Seabrook, and and now you're uh, you're at the floor that way. So um, I think any team that was refusing to do that or uh, pushing back on it would be dealt with with not a whole lot of patience from the NHL. Let's wrap up as we always do with a little this week hockey history here. And why don't we do a little goalie theme here, okay? This week in hockey history, November the 10th, 1962. November 10th, 1962, Sean, Glenn Hall, Chicago Blackhawks Hall of Fame goalie, has his consecutive game streak end at a remarkable 502 games. I ask you this, of all the Ironman streaks we know of in sports, you think of Cal Ripken, you think of, you know, Whatever streak you want to think of, I, Brett Favre had an unbelievable one in the NFL. Um, you know, obviously Doug Jarvis in the NHL, although that one is potentially in jeopardy. Is Glenn Hall playing 502 straight games, essentially most of them, if, if not all of them, without a mask? Most impressive Ironman streak in sports history? It, it's certainly the most unbreakable. 
I mean, that's the one. I, I know it's almost impossible to imagine anyone coming close to Cal Ripken's streak, but it's at least within the realm of possibility. Whereas in this, the the sport has changed to the point where goalies, you know, no, goalies don't play back to backs, let alone a full season, let alone playing a full season seven years in a row or whatever you would have to do now. I think you have to go back to that 96 season with the, the Grant Fuhrer and the Blues was the last time a team even tried to to put the same goaltender out there for every single game. And, and that at the time was remarkable because it had been so long since we've seen it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a different sport back then. And, and you know, frankly, he, he shouldn't have been playing that many games in a row. But back then, that was just how it's done. Uh, you will, uh, you know, th- that's that's one of the few records where you look at it. And the number is, you know, what is it, 502? 502, yeah. Not only will nobody break that record, it's quite possible that we will never again see anyone get 10% of the weight of that record. Like 50 straight games for a goaltender? I, I don't know that we will ever see that, uh, let alone get close to it. And I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable when when you're you're 10 times past what anyone else uh, will ever get to again. That's that's when you've you've really got a ridiculous record. Yeah. No, and, and, and the fact that um and the fact that Hall's ritual before every game was he would get ready and he would vomit. Like he would yeah. throw up. Like From it's, nerves. It's, like yeah. he, he was a he was a mess. And, and you know, I, again, like we we kind of tell that story as, you know, this fun little piece of hockey lore. And yeah, maybe we shouldn't because we we should maybe look back and go like, oh my goodness, what were we doing to this guy? But uh yeah, I mean it was it was a different world and a different league. Um and and we will never see anything remotely like it yeah okay one other uh this week in hockey history and uh, this one's near and dear to your heart it involves goalies um it's the 25th anniversary of ron hextall skating about 200 feet down to the other end of the rink to take on felix potvan in a game between the maple leafs and the flyers there in the in the mid 90s and i gotta say i remember seeing the highlights of this and not knowing how it would play out i'm like oh man Felix Potvan's going to get smoked. Here comes big, bad Ron Hexall. Man, Felix Potvan won the fight. Like Absolutely. That, right? Like, it's one of the most remarkable turn of events for me because I thought this was, I thought this was a mismatch. And Felix Potvan not only hung in there, I think he won the fight. I, I still remember to this day, this is, this is 96. So I'm, I'm at, I'm away at college and this was before, you know, we, we had the internet, but there was no YouTube. There was no easy access to a video of any kind and i i remember sitting in a computer lab with a couple of a uh, couple of friends and, and leaf fans and uh, checking the box score to find out how the game had gone against philadelphia and seeing that they i, I think they lost the game but you know, whatever who cares uh and, and then looking you know back in the day that's what you did you looked said okay what was the score who got the goals were there any fights and you know scrolling down and then just seeing this list of fights at the end going oh man something broke out and then seeing hextel Potvin, five-minute fighting majors. And we just all looked at each other and went, the Leafs need a new goaltender. Because if if Felix Potvin ended up in a fight with Ron Hextel, he oh he, he must have gotten destroyed. I mean, Felix uh, Hextel was was considered the baddest guy uh, yeah. of the goaltenders. And Felix Potvin was, you know, this this quiet, honest, you know, kid right. who never, you know, you almost never got involved in anything. And, uh, you know, it was, it was only like, you know, we had to go somewhere and find the highlights and, you know, we're, we're watching them probably say, you might've been there 
going like, this is crazy. How did, how did this happen? And I remember I actually found a way to get this is, this is how long ago it was. I found somebody who had the VHS tape online and I got them to send it to me so that we would like have it to actually, you know, kind of review it in more detail. And yeah, good old Felix. I mean, he, he didn't start it. It was, it was Hextel who went all the way down the ice and it, it wasn't a super one-sided fight, but Hextel was the one who got busted open. And I, I, I still remember, um, Doug Gilmore sitting on the bench, like sitting literally like on the on the edge of the bench watching and Ty Domi had been kicked out and he came back to the ice and was pointing at his face at Hextel telling him that he got busted open. And it was it was very memorable. I mean, it's you're talking goalie fights. It's it's that one. And it's it's Juan Vernon are are the two that uh, kind of stand head and shoulders. But um, and and of all the, of all the things on the 25th anniversary, we had a Toronto Flyers, uh, you know, at least Flyers game. Yeah. And you know, nobody, there's no ceremony. They didn't uh, they didn't invite the two guys to uh, to, to you know to to come to the game. I, I totally missed that it was even the anniversary until just uh, just this morning. But uh, missed opportunity. I, I think you should have invited both guys. Tell them they're being honored at a center ice ceremony. Don't tell them the other one's there. Yeah. And then just, you know, have them both start at each end. And they got whoever gets to the center first. Uh, and uh, and they go deal with it again. Get the rematch. I, I, I'm guessing Ron Hextel has probably been itching for a rematch for a long time. Because uh, he didn't get into he didn't get into all that many of those considering, uh, considering uh, how much other trouble he got into. And that one didn't go well for him. No, I, I'm curious. Like, what what would the reception be for Pittsburgh Penguins GM Ron Hextall if he gets announced, yeah. welcomed into Philly right now? Cheers. Yeah, that's true. I don't booze, know. Make, I think mostly cheers. No, like they have I to think say, would, well, but they would have to say, welcome back, former Flyers goalie Ron Hextall. They can't say, welcome Penguins general manager Ron Hextall. Right? Yeah, I, I, you would do that. And look, I mean, he was the the Flyers. GM, like he, it's not like he shunned them to go off to Pittsburgh. You know, they they pushed him out first, but yeah, that might that might get a little dicey. You'd want to do it now. Don't don't wait till the playoffs where the, those two teams might be lining up against each other. Yeah. All right. Uh, and by the way, the last is the last goalie fight that we had in the NHL. Was it Ray Emery and uh, Braden Holtby? Like, have we had a fight? Remember when Ray Emery yeah. fought Braden Holtby? We and have had we've had, we've had since. since. I think the last one was the. the, the uh, the Flames uh, Oilers game a oh, year or two course, ago wasn't course. there? There yeah. one of those, and uh, but yeah, there there haven't been many, and and that was kind of the one where I think some people were like, oh, this is maybe this is uh, you know getting a little silly where you've got you know, some of these guys that don't really know what they're doing, and Ray Emery obviously very much did know what he was doing, and and that one was uh, very one sided, but yeah, yeah, there there haven't been many since, but. Every now and then, you still get one. But uh, yeah, no, nothing. My, my, you talk about the great what ifs. The night that Ron Hextel lost it and attacked Chris Chelios, you yeah. know who the goalie at the other end of the ice was, right? It was Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh, I mean, yeah. there's there's your Batman versus Superman of uh, of goalie fights, and it never happened. Uh, Patrick didn't uh, didn't make his way down. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, not that's uh, that's an art form that uh, I think is slowly but surely leaving the game. Yeah, and that uh, that was after uh, Hextall was mad that Chelios hit Brian Prop mm-hmm. at the beginning of that series. And but uh, a weird because it was like the game, it was the deciding game of the series, and the game was still up for grabs. Like it wasn't 
a 10-1 blow it or something. It was like a two-goal lead or something, and, and he just picked that spot to do it, and that was the that was the end of the season. Yeah, he was unhinged, unhinged in that uh, in that moment. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, listen, this was fun as always, and uh, we look forward to uh, what, what do you got in the hopper here from from the print side uh, coming up here? We got any yeah. quirky, fun stories that we should be uh, promoting? I don't know about quirky and fun, but it's yeah. uh, I'm I'm continuing my Hall of Fame uh, theme, and as as people who read me know, I I have a habit of occasionally. Uh, deciding on a, on something I'm going to do and and even though I know I'm going to regret it. And so I I decided uh this week to rank every hockey hall of fame class ever from worst to best. Uh and there's a lot of them uh as as you might imagine. Uh 68 to to be exact. So 68 classes of uh hockey hall of fame inductions uh, worst to best. And it's, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be a ranking to argue about, but really it's a chance to, to kind of go over the history and, and I'm willing to bet people will learn a few things. Uh, and, uh, uh, I hope you do, but if you just want to jump into the comments and yell at me because number seven should have been number eight, then you can go ahead and do that too. Yeah. There's no potential for any uh, years where they had rhyming, uh, Rhyming inductees, the best rhyming. I'll get inductees. on it. Let's get yeah. the intern on that. That's yeah, uh, exactly. We we can figure that out. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. And uh, hey, listen. If you have any questions for us, like uh, those ones we took at the mailbag, fire them our way. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a comment on our uh, our podcast page. We love that. I know the Tuesday guys, Gentilly and Custance, they like to dominate that. But by all means, jump in there. Leave us a comment there. We we also get those. And if you're not a subscriber with The Athletic, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. You can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month.